Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Hey, everyone. As I mentioned on Monday, this week I'll be releasing a special series called Tough Talks. My hope is to provide a better understanding for myself and my listeners in regards to what is going on in the world when it comes to racism, discrimination, inequality, and other related issues that we're facing. For this second episode, I want to welcome back return guest, Julia Katsivo. Hey, Julia, thank you for coming back on the Vulnerable Podcast. Um, This time, um, it won't be uh, so much of an interview as it was last time. You know, uh, as I explained just before we hopped on the call, I decided to sort of do this series this week and and speak with a few people on the subjects of, you know, racism, discrimination, inequality, and and really just, you know, I'm I'm calling this series Tough Talks because it's a tough conversation to have and it's it's a tough time. It's hard for us all to understand I'm having my issues understanding everything. Um, and so, yeah, so I, you know, thank you for on such short notice agreeing to do this and, and for coming back on and, and being willing to have this conversation, conversation with, myself with myself and, and my, my listeners. listeners. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Honestly, how could I not support? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, so, I mean, the first thing that I guess I, I'd like to start off with, if, if it's okay with you, is I wouldn't mind if you'd uh, share a few stories that you might have um, in times of, in, in your own life where, you know, you faced, again, some sort of uh, discrimination, racism, inequality. So just give us an idea of sort of how it's affected your life. Okay, absolutely. Um, can I give a little background? Sure, yeah, that go may ahead. be um, helpful. Yeah, so, so I was born African in Africa. And what this means is that um, I moved to Canada when I was 17. So up until the age of 17, honestly, I was amongst the majority. I truly was privileged and I had no idea, right? Because I was living my life as far as I was concerned. Everyone was sort of living the same kind of life. And if they weren't living the same life, then it was up to make it or something. And then I came to Canada when I was 17. And that's the first time that I was referenced to as a black person. And the first time this happened, I didn't recognize who the person was speaking to. I was just looking at them blankly. Because again, this is not uh, something that I had identified myself with or I, I had any identity in because I came from a majority, like in, in Kenya, Africa I was the majority tribe. I was, you know, so that's the first time. So, you know, even when, even when um, things were done, like, so when we first moved to London, Ontario, there was one time when I was walking down the path and someone was driving next to me. And this happened several times where someone would stop and make some pig noises or things like those or, or uh, hurl out um, derogatory names. The, the thing that I find interesting is that I'll just look at them and keep going my path because I didn't recognize them as speaking to me. That was not my identity. I don't know who they were talking to. Maybe they were looking my way, but that wasn't to me. And I was thinking about this the other day. Um, there've been quite a few things that have happened, you know, for worse things. And I sort of, 
have been able to have this way of looking at it without having to um, bring it up or evoke it, but knowing that you know you're not talking to me, you're not you're not speaking to me, so I'm not responding to you because that's not me. I don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I guess the way, the way it comes off to me um, is something that our, my guest yesterday said is that, you know, he looks for, he looks to judge people based on who they are, not based on their color, their creed, their uh, religion, whatever it might be. Like he, he believes that not only for himself, but, you know, police officers, myself, whoever it is that we should be judging people based on their in, uh, them, themselves as an individual. And I guess judging is a harsh word too, but I guess what he's trying to get across is that, you know, it's, it's, it, we need to start looking at people as individuals, as humans, not necessarily as, you know, what, what color their skin is. And, and that seems to me what has, I guess, helped you in a sense is the fact that you've just looked at yourself as an individual. I'm Julia and that's all there is to it and not necessarily, you know, associated with whatever people might uh, whatever judgments or, or whatever people might sort of try and put on you? Not race. However, I, I do have my own prejudices, which um, obviously when you're in new surroundings, you get confronted or when you see that. So when it came to race, no. Um, now, I, 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 I'm not saying that racism is okay. It'll never be okay. However, I do know people that when I look at them and I see how they grew up and, and, and how they were brought up, they absolutely had no option or alternative than to be racist. It was handed over to them as a gift, much the same way, you know, someone will grow up and say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, do you go to church? Not really, but I was baptized. It's like a gift, you know? So I, I've seen people that when I really dug into their roots, it, they they didn't have that luxury of saying that I can look at someone for the character because for them, the race factor did form or impress upon the character. So, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I, and I said this yesterday on, on the, uh, on the uh, talk that I had yesterday, um, I grew up in the GTA. I grew up in Mississauga, Ontario. Um, most, most, of my, most of my school life, most of growing up, my friends were from all different cultures. And that's part of the reason that for me, I guess it's been a little more difficult for me to sort of understand everything because I've never, you know, I don't want to say I've never seen race because I think that that's a, a bad way to put it. But obviously, I, I obviously know that we have different races, different creeds. We, we all come from different places. But for me, you know, from a very young age, I grew up with a multicultural group of friends. So I've never... Um, I've never just really, I've just sort of accepted people for who they are, I guess, is the best way to put it. And, and so I don't know if, if that's different. Mm -hmm. You were saying you grew up in, in London, Ontario. Um, I don't know if, if that's, if it's different there or if it's just, you know, coming into Canada from where you were, um, that there was sort of that shock or, or that difference. Oh my goodness. London, Ontario was hardship. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was hardship. Um, and, and my sister was also born there. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, the, the whole animal of racism came alive for me in London, Ontario. Sad but true. Uh, that's when I really began to understand that I was not picked for certain jobs because of how I looked. My name is ambiguous enough that 
you know, most people were imagined it was someone else. And that's mm-hmm. what they would literally say to my face. Oh, I thought you're French. And then, you know, <laughs> speaking with me on the phone, there's a bit of that accent. And so they would just make up their own identity of who I was. And then I'd show up and suddenly the position was, you know, not available or uh the room that i wanted to rent was not available <laughs> um the job that i wanted to apply for was available so it, it those kinds of things were happening now the thing is and i think implicitly this is something that first generation immigrants especially i don't I, i'm pretty sure it, it speaks to a lot of people but as a black african when you when you move to canada you pretty much sell everything because you're expected to show up with a certain amount of money and you're expected to be able to take care of yourself for a really long time. So, you know, it's pretty hard to maintain your assets in Africa and, and, and still have that here. So you sell everything, you've brought everything here, you're starting from scratch. So yes, these things were happening, you know, when my family members were being stopped on the road and being asked, you know, whose car is this? Or um, my very first, <laughs> one of my very first jobs, I came into work and, and the police were there and um and they said oh we're not saying anything julia but you know someone said that some money was stolen and the person who was around was black i was the only black person there everybody else was white and this was working for western university can you imagine it was one of those student jobs so you know these are things that happened however somewhere on my core i knew that i had we had to make it like we didn't have the luxury of sitting down and processing what was happening to us at the same time as we tried to navigate life. We had to make it. We, we, we had to keep pushing. We had to keep going because while these things were happening, we were now in that place of, okay, we need to make it. We need to survive. We need to thrive. So, yeah, it's been interesting. <laughs> no, I mean... Uh... Again, you know, and this is where, you know, I really appreciate, you know, someone like yourself sharing these stories because I've never had to even think about anything like that, right? I mean, not only were you, like you said, not only were you a new immigrant coming here from a different country where you had to sort of, you know, leave everything behind, come here, support yourself, survive, like you said, but now you have this extra sort of um, barrier on top of that. So not only is it a matter of, you know, making money and surviving and making sure that your family can stay here, but now you have to sort of be faced with this other uh, barrier in terms of, you know, your race and, and people just sort of judging you based on that, uh, you know, and, and also I found it, uh, you know, pretty surprising that, you know, like you're saying, it was a student job at Western University. Again, you know, this a university is a place where I'm sure there is a you know vast amount of cultures and and everything you know in, in terms of students. And on top of that, I mean, there's usually a lot of international students going to university or college. And so it kind of surprised me when you said that at that job you were sort of one of the first times that you were faced with this sort of you know I, I guess you know it, it was racism essentially. Like they were basically saying like money was gone and somebody said it was somebody who was black you're the only black person so therefore it must have been you yeah yeah it was a summer job and i know in the summertime it was mainly it was natives who you know so maybe during the school year (laughs) i would have been luckier in that sense but in the summertime it used to be you know uh, retired people and so you know my co-workers were mainly uh older white and 
and it was awkward. Everybody knew that I hadn't stolen, and but nobody stood up for me or said anything. Now, I do generally have a calm disposition, and the officers were just like, you know, we just have to go through this rigmarole, even though there was tape, and the tape showed that um, I, ha- I was nowhere near there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but you know, after that, I had to come, I had to keep on in my shift, right? Like, so after they finished the questioning and everything, they're like, okay, thank you. Of course, we knew it wasn't you. Go back to work. That was very hard. And sitting there with my coworkers who could barely look at me now. But again, it was that thing where it's like, what are you, what are you going to do? You don't have the privilege of quitting. <laughs> yeah. You have to sit here and you have to show up tomorrow and you still have to smile with these people and just somehow put this behind you. So, I mean, in, in terms of like your career moving forward from there, I mean, like, you're, you know, that was sort of, like you said, a summer job, you know, your first experience, I guess, working, you know, uh, being in school and everything like that. In terms of your career moving forward, uh, you know, I know, um, and I'm not trying to bash the government or anything, but I know you've, you've done work um, for the government. Did you find any barriers when you were trying to get into sort of that career or any other careers that you've had um, before you sort of took on on coaching and everything? Well, I I had dreadlocks for 12 of my years. <laughs> and um, for the seven years that I worked for the federal government, I had dreadlocks. And I knew that there were lots of times when um, my supervisors would lovingly, you know, suggest to me that I should do something about my hair. Um, now, I, I must confess that I didn't let it just show up wildly, like I tried to tame it, but at the same time, there was a part of me that felt like this isn't right. And of course, you know, once I, I, I was having drinks with someone who was up there and I was asking why I seemed to have difficulty going into places and she said, you know what, it's, it's, it's who we know, right? So... I see you working hard. I, I, I know you're good and all of that good stuff, you know, but it's who we know. And, and the person who got the job <laughs> happened to be a relative. So in that sense, what I thought to myself is this is just a big dragon. You know, do I really want to play with this kind of fire? No. I, 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 it's very hard for, for people like, me to first of all when I got that permanent position in the federal government a lot of people were like what how did that happen so to be able to to put myself in a position where I can lift others and help them come in I don't think would have worked the same for me when I tried to get some of my relatives in you know I was told how that's going to be a problem meanwhile some of my supervisors their spouses were sitting right next to me it didn't seem to be a problem for them and what I took from that was that it's just another culture of which if you're not a part of you know, either you buy your way into it or you just leave it alone. And for me, I just thought to leave it alone. It was just an animal that I thought to myself, listen, at the end of the day, um, you just have to keep going forward because I had an overall plan for my life and it wasn't dependent on any job, any anything. And like, you just have to keep going forward. And I think, to be honest with you, that's been a stance of, I don't know about other people's experiences, but I'll say for first generation Africans, and I'm sure others, but that's sort of like just, you know, you don't have a choice. You don't have the privilege or the luxury of, of seeing what's not happening. If you can do something, do something. However, you really just need to, to, to take care of yourself and move forward and, and do the best you can 
so it's always this conundrum where you're processing what's happening to you, but at the same time, you're expected to move forward and even excel because you are an example. I took film studies in my speaking coaching career in a lot of spaces. I'm the only person, you know, the other, uh, maybe a year or two ago, I was one of 200 speakers. I was the only black person, you know, but, and that's common where I'll come into a room and I'm the only black person. And the only thing that helps me is that I'm the one who's presenting. So that makes me feel good. However, it's just that thought that, you know, like I can't sit down and really think about the fact that a lot of times I'm the only person in a space, you know, you know, like in London, I would sit down and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm the only black person on this bus, like in the beginning, because it kind of hit me hard. But then after that, it's like, you know what, you can't see that. You just have to keep looking forward and just do your thing. If you start looking at everything, you're not going to move. And that's the truth. It's just overwhelming. You're going to die. You have to just keep going forward. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that really sort of struck me there is, is the imagery behind you saying, like, is this a dragon that I want to try and slay? Like the fact that you, you, you sort of see this big sort of, you know, scary monster in terms of, you know, this is a place that you work, but, you know, that's how you sort of perceive it is like, it's this dragon that you're going to have to sort of face and challenge if you want to do anything. And that's what keeps you sort of, you know, held back in a sense, like, that to me is, is I, like, again, if I haven't liked a boss, if I haven't liked uh, where I work, I quit and I move on. But for to, to have to sort of, you know, sort of bear down and say, you know what, this, there's, there's something that's more important to me in terms of, you know, uh, this career, the income, whatever it is, I'm just going to sort of, you know, ignore it and continue moving. I can't imagine sort of what that must uh, do to a person or, or, or the sort of the, the pressure or the weight that that must put on you because again you you can't sort of voice your opinion and then like you said you're seeing these things go on around you where it's like you know this person's family member this person's getting a promotion that you know that you're more than qualified for and more than deserve but you've just got to kind of again hold back and and not not speak up like I can't imagine the burden that that must put on someone yeah, it'd be, you know, and at the same time, you also like, there's also that thing where it's like, I'd get mad and I'll tell myself, okay, let's not play into some stereotypes. One of my friends uh, was discriminated against and uh, a coworker actually, and she took it to the highest levels. Do you know, nobody ever talked about the quality of her work or the fact that she was really good. All anyone ever talked about was how she, she was entitled and had to make noise. So it's that thing where it's like, you see yourself being rejected or dejected. And at the same time, you're still expected to maintain that smile, maintain that presence, maintain that essence as if you're, as if you don't have, as if you're, you know, as if you're like this robot. And, and, and it, it was just, yeah, hardship in that sense where it's like you navigate this life and then when you come home, you don't want to give that to your family. Like we never did that to each other. So who knows some of the things that we all went through that we just kept to ourselves, right? So when you come home, it's like you just, you also just give a different side. Or even maybe with your friends is where you could do that unburdening. Um, because so it's interesting how society, you know, has this. And when I say society, I mean like it, 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 these expectations where it's like, you know, but 
be professional. Even as you can see that you are being rejected on the basis of your color, be professional, raise above it. Whereas it's not the same as if you're being rejected because someone is more highly qualified or anything like that. You're being, you're being, um, you're literally being rejected as who you are, exactly as you are is being rejected and you are to be professional about it. Like you are to, to somehow not have a personal reaction to it. And yet that is the implicit expectation, especially in work culture, especially if you're a person in a high position or with influence. Yeah. Like, and I, and, and, and you're saying, you know, like, uh, you know, being judged on, on who you are, but the thing is, is that it's not even who you are because you're, you're being judged on like the color of your skin or like in your case, the fact that you had dreadlocks, that's not you. I mean, as much as it is in a sense, it, it's still not you. Like I didn't look at you as the first time I met you as, as Julia, you know, African black. I looked at you as Julia, like you were just a very, you know, uh, you you had a very bubbly personality you're very outgoing very easy to talk to like you know i i looked at those type of things i didn't you know so again for people to to look at somebody and say you know this is who you are just based on what i see is uh, again it's it's just it, it blows my mind that we're here in 2020 and this is you know and i'm sure you know these stories you're telling us we're, we're not talking 30 or 40 or 50 years ago we're probably talking like you said maybe in the last decade or so that, that this sort of stuff happened and it, it just sort of blows my mind that it's still going on at that sort of level yeah and i don't see it changing i mean if we just look through history if we look through time this has always been sort of uh, our backbone human beings we can't help it right and for as long as we are brought up and we have the people who influence us the experiences around us honestly does that from home you know one of the things that i noticed and this is so interesting is that um i would look at kids let's say if i met friends kids or something like that my friends kids would always come to me even if i met them for the first time but recently I was in the presence of someone else's children and they were afraid of me. And it didn't make sense at first. And then I realized, ah, <laughs> they've not seen someone in my color. And you know, kids are kids. They'll just show their true reactions. Mm -hmm. And it's true. As I was speaking with the parents later on, you discover that the parents, um, they stay in a white neighborhood. They have white friends. I'm their only black friend whom they see once every God knows how many years. Um, and it's like, well, how do you expect your children to know or learn anything different? if you don't expose them to other things, you know, and even when I'd ask what they're watching on TV and I'd ask about some black shows and they look at me like, why would we watch that? Meanwhile, I'm thinking, oh, but then you're gonna ask me something like, oh, have you watched 13 Reasons Why? As though I should. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of these biased, I guess, that uh, one of many biased that unfortunately, like you're saying, we hold or that we're, sort of where we're around it growing up and so we sort of inherit it which is again it's unfortunate because you know one thing I, I want to sort of touch on it and I hope it's okay with you is and this is somewhere where in a sense I think we relate and so I just want to get uh, sort of an idea from you on on how it's maybe affected you so I mean you're you're getting married soon um, I, I see you put it on Facebook so I hope it's not information that it's not okay for me to, to, to sorry Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. So I, I hope it's okay that I bring it up. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because 
um, you know, your relationship, same as mine, I'm married to a Filipino, uh, you're in, a, in an interracial relationship as well. And if you don't mind, like I said, I just want to see, has that had any difficulties behind it? Because, you know, I see, you know, when I walk around with my wife, sometimes, like I said, she's Filipino and we'll go somewhere and there's other Filipinos there, um, you know, and they may look at us a little weird because I'm white, she's Filipino. And, and I know sort of certain cultures, especially sort of look at it as like, you know, they want their culture to stay within their culture, if that makes sense. So again, I, I don't know if it's had, if there's been any effects, I, I know you were in Toronto for, for the lot for a while there and, and Toronto seems to be pretty, you know, open and everything like that. But has there been any sort of difficulties behind that? Have you faced any challenges with that? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so my fiance is half white, half Japanese. Um, when we started dating, we we both noticed that we were getting a lot more looks. Now, the thing that I wasn't sure is, is was is, was it because you were different racially or different in terms of physical size? Um, and also, you know, some of the comments. Um, that we've received over time i'll say the one thing that that forgetting people outside the thing that's most important is inside to really be candid so for example whereas i'm good at processing my emotions by myself away by myself i made sure to process them in front of him with all the things that have been happening of late so that he could see so that he could not um deflected or so that he you know so in the beginning maybe there was a bit of that what do you want me to do i don't want to watch this and but for me it was like you need to witness this because this could be my brother it could also be your son um especially with black people the moment you have a child <laughs> um that child is considered black it doesn't matter whether other mixes are in there that child is considered black and i'm like and it doesn't matter that you're the father when your son is out there alone, or, you know, we live out here in cottage country, when your son is out there playing, when your son is out there driving your car, he's a black man. He's not someone whose dad is white or Japanese. He's a black man. Um, and I find that it's okay that people can say what they want to say. That's, you know, them. But most important is within the relationship, because you see these things come up where people have some uh, prejudices or whatnot. A long time ago, when we just first started dating, he was saying, you know, I'm waiting to see that angry black woman. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like just some of those things that are like really just sort of like embedded or, you know, I'm like, angry black woman. Okay. Uh, so again, it's just going and re-educating and educating and re-educating. I understand like where we live. It's where definitely different um the good news is we're surrounded by love and that's very important um to always find people who will support you and who love you and who see you not your color so that when you go out now into the streets so like whenever we go out and someone says something it's okay because for the most part i'm surrounded by love yeah, I would say that that's definitely uh, something that could probably help us all right now is is, is more love and and uh, but yeah, it, it's still you know again I, I thank you for sharing that and and to me you know when you mentioned that one part there where where sort of uh, your 
fiance made that comment. And again, I don't think there was any malice behind it. I don't think there was any sort of, uh, I don't think it was meant in a negative way, but mm-hmm. it's interesting to me how we, you know, that, that was probably a very unconscious bias. That was something yeah. we talked about yesterday as well. It's this unconscious thing that we don't even really recognize what we're saying or what we're thinking. It just sort of a pattern or like you said, something that's just, we've, we've inherited it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it's, it, uh, I, I don't really know where it comes from, um, but uh, but yeah, it's just to me, I'm glad that you were able to sort of move past it, obviously, and and work through it, and now sort of educating, you know, him as much as you can, because I think that that's where the the key is, and that's what I'm hoping to do, you know, through this series is is educate people a little bit more and educate myself. Like I said, I'm struggling to understand everything that's going on just because I, I don't it's not it's not something that's been present in my life right so um so yeah i mean uh, in terms of that you know with everything that's going on i, I know you were saying sort of that you you've been i, I don't want to say forcing but you've been sort of making sure that you know your your fiance and i guess uh, my guess is anybody else that you're close to is sort of paying attention to what's going on right now and in terms of what is going on like how has it affected you um, how has it, you know, what, what has it sort of brought up for you with everything that's going on south of the border and even here in, in Canada? Honestly, Brian, I didn't want to live. I'm not going to lie. Like for me, I just felt like, you know what, this world ain't worth it. <laughs> like this, this is not worth it. it it's like, um, and that's the purpose, right? Is to crush the spirit. Well, it worked. And then here I am looking at my business and the fact that half of it is motivation. And, and I didn't feel like motivating anyone. I just wanted to die. I just felt like there was no point. There was no purpose. And I remember I kept saying, Lord, why did you let Martin Luther King Jr. go through all that? For what? What about Rosa Parks? What about all those people who sacrificed their lives? For what? For what? It meant nothing. Look at this. It meant nothing. It's just, you know, that state of, I I don't want to say helpless rage because I purposefully went into a campaign and I used my marketing skills to make sure that people were aware of what was going on, which meant that I had to go through a lot of information to, to make sure that I was also not just dumping you know, overload garbage at people so that they numb out. But for me, it just felt like this is too much. This is too much. Enough. Like, you know what? You rescued the um, the Israelites. You need to rescue your people, man. You're the one who made us black. You need to come through. Um, it was very hard. I didn't want to get up. I actually felt a little sick. And when I spoke with everyone, including my own family members, they weren't doing well. Nobody did well. Nobody did well. It just completely, completely, like we were drowning there for a moment. And in some ways we still are. It's, it's, it's very hard to see, to see that and understand that you're going to live that probably for the rest of your life because, you know, history shows that we're not great at learning from our mistakes and at this moment nobody's acknowledging it's a mistake so yeah my heart's pretty heavy after hearing you say that because again like i said a few minutes ago first time i met you bubbly personality like just outgoing you know one wants to be everybody's friend you know just the, the person that you're describing is not the person that i know like for you to to get to that level where it didn't even feel like there was a point in going on to to for it to 
sort of be hurting you in that way and like you're and sort of it sounds to me like you're the like hope is sort of being deteriorated like you know that oh, with yeah. everything yeah it did that was like uh that was like blowing up you know <laughs> like if, so this is a war that was like blowing up a whole section of like prime land called hope and peace and trust that just really tore that fabric of trust where you even start thinking i don't want to trust anybody i'm just gonna be selfish think of myself this ain't worth it and and especially i mean like the other thing i was going to say is like you know this should be a time for you where you're rejoicing where you're happy where you know like with with things that are coming up in your life and i'm sure you are still but just for this to sort of be a damper on that and not only that but like i said yesterday at the beginning of yesterday's episode like i mean we we were already dealing with enough when it came to like covid and everything that's going on with that and then to just throw this stress onto people as well um it's i don't know it's unimaginable to me that that again that it happened that um that you're saying that you don't even believe that it's there's really going to be a solution i mean and and I know it's been, you know, uh, yesterday was mentioned, you know, 400 years. And then for the most part that we know about, we're talking, you know, just over 100 years. Um, but yet, you know, I, I guess in a way I, I would have to agree that is there really a solution or, or how much longer is it going to take us to get there? You know, like it's not going to be something that we're going to fix overnight or in another year or two or three or more um, because of the amount of time that it's, it's already been going on. So, I mean, I can, I guess I can kind of see where you're coming from, but it is unfortunate that it's sort of, you know, deteriorating that hope that any of us might have for, for sort of a better world or a better future. Yeah, definitely did that. <laughs> that was a uh, foot crushing soul crashing thank god our spirits are collectively stronger and you know what it did something that we needed we needed other voices to come in you know it's the same way you can you know they call you like you know the the boy who cried wolf until you hear from someone else so when when white voices when other voices when other people started saying something that's when you know you start getting that movement going up until then nobody pays attention. They're like, that's your problem. So, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing that I'm grateful for is that we saw the worst of that man in that case and that it was public. And yes, there was a sacrificial lamb involved, um, yet another one. However, this time it seemed to have, you know, when you're watching that over eight minutes, it seemed to have really done its job in the sense of getting people to say, oh my God, I have to say something. Yeah, and I, I just hope I'm doing a small part with what I'm doing with this because, um, yeah, like uh, I'm almost a, a little emotional on this side just because, again, it's it's hard for me to 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 relate and to understand. But I'm definitely getting a a much better picture through these first couple conversations. So, if if we can, I want to get into you know what what do you see that we can do that can help. You know, like what what is it, you know, aside from me doing, you know, a, a small podcast series for the few listeners that I have, like what can myself, what can anybody else, what, what do you see that we can do that can help, you know, better the situation? Um, yeah. What, what, what's what's your opinion on that? Yeah. So the argument, the, the basic fundamental argument here isn't give black people special treatment or or anything like that. It basically is treat them as you would any other person. That's really the fundamental 
uh, thing here. That's what we're saying. If you would let a white man jog down the country road and not shoot him, do not shoot a black person who's doing the same thing. If you would, you know, so that's really fundamentally what it is. Now, on, on a micro level, it can, um, there was a John Grisham, the, uh, what's this really powerful book and movie where this lawyer was defending this uh, black guy who killed um, someone who I guess raped his daughter, but the-, the I think the it's message, a time, it seems like a time to a kill. Time to kill, yeah, yes. Yeah. And for me, I find this very powerful how, you know, he said, you know, close your eyes, imagine, and then he says, now imagine that that child is white, you know? For me, it's that, it's, uh, it's literally put yourself in the shoes, put yourself in the shoes of what would you do? But before doing anything, you have to put yourself in the shoes you it's that awareness where you say let me think about this if i was jogging or if my loved one was jogging or if a fellow brother or sister was jogging and they were shot down what would i do if that person was from where i'm from how would i act how would i react and then do that um the only way to deal with this is for anybody outside to not look at it as a project or as an other but to actually say, this is my brother, to take on that identity. This is my brother. This could have been my mom. This could have been my sister. And understand that the difference is that they happen to be Black. And to use that voice the way they would had it been someone important to them that they loved. What would they have done? Now, go ahead and do that, because that is love. It sort of echoes to what was said yesterday um, by my guest yesterday. It's the same thing. It's It's you know, it's great to think about it. It's great to, you know, maybe even have a couple of conversations about it. But the biggest thing we all need to do right now is act. We actually need to do something. And whether it's big, small, and, and I think that's, again, what you were sort of echoing there too. It's it's not about having this huge project. It's not about, you know, like I said yesterday, it's not about me saying, okay, let me go grab $1,000 out of my bank account and, and donate it to this charity. Okay, now I feel better. It's It's more about, you know, just having these conversations and then making do acting in some sort of way, whether it's, you know, um, like you're saying, whether it's putting yourself in the shoes and, and trying to figure out, you know, maybe it's talking to family members or or maybe it's getting more involved in, in protests, if that's, you know, where you want to go with it. it. It's just a matter of we have to act. We can't just sort of continue to sit back and be like, OK, well, this happened you know, in a couple of weeks, it's, it might be old news, which uh, I hope not. But unfortunately, with the way that media and everything goes, we don't know, right? But it's the point of now not letting this time sort of slip through the cracks again, and, and just acting moving forward and, and really sort of, like you're saying, act in love, you know, like, rather than looking at it as it's, it's not, it's not a me problem. It's an all of us problem. It's, it's a problem for everybody, black, white, Asian, doesn't matter. Like this is, is a problem for, for everybody and we all just need to sort of act in some sort of shape or form. Petitions, you know, whether it's petitions, like I said, protesting, whatever it might be, we just, we need to start acting. We do. And, and for people like you doing exactly what you did, I mean, <laughs> you have to rearrange a schedule. You had to reach out. You had to, you had to do the things that you're doing. You're freaking recording on over the weekend on a Sunday, you know, and, and doing that kind of thing. It means you did extra, but it's necessary, especially if you have a platform, you know, when I would put events together, I'd make sure to look around for representation. And I didn't care that it was hard 
you know, and people said, oh, people should get the job when they're qualified. And I'm like, absolutely, but I'm going to look for a black speaker. I'm going to look for an Asian speaker. And I'm going to look for the highly qualified ones. But it, I felt that it was my responsibility to use my platform to show representation. And so that's what I would say is everybody does have a platform, even if it's just speaking with two, three people, if it means that you get them to change their mind or see things a little different, we all have to do something. It's not enough to just scroll by the news. It's not enough to say, oh man, anyway, at least I'm not racist. You know, we all have to do something. And especially those who are in a power of, who have um, been given responsibility, like podcasts or things like those, those are not things that, were just given just for the entertainment of you know or entertainment of people it's you doing what you're doing um thank you i mean i absolutely had to be on board with this because i see you and i see what you're doing and again that's an act of love no i i appreciate that julie i appreciate the fact that it's such short notice i'm i'm just really grateful that i have you know, friends in a community that does support me and that is willing to at such short notice come on here and, and like I said, have these these difficult conversations, have these tough conversations. It, it's uh, it's needed and and like I said, it's not just for me to to have a better understanding and for me to learn, but I really hope that whatever listeners I do have can learn something from this as well. Rearranging my schedule is not I did it's not even an issue, especially it's, it's such a small act in terms of everything that's going on but again i appreciate you sort of saying that um you know i want to respect your time here uh i know we hopped on a bit late but i still want to respect whatever you have going on for the rest of your day um but is there any sort of closing words any anything that you sort of want to finish off by saying um and putting out there uh you know like you said i i believe you know you may have put out a little bit of information um through your platform uh, but yeah if there's anything you sort of want to close off with uh, you know go ahead Yes, it is, it is the silence of our friends that we, we remember. It really is. Um, during this time, there have been some people who deeply, deeply disappointed me in that they really stuck to their stance of not taking a side. And while I appreciate that, this is a human rights issue. Um, the ones who really tremendously gained my respect at this time are the people who are willing to risk their reputations, what they've built, who they are in order to speak out. And it's really heartbreaking when you see people who are not willing to say anything or do anything because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what their reasons are, it will always come across as, as implicit consent. It'll always come across as, well, you know, um, you know, you probably deserve that or that's your business. So again, even when you listen to this podcast, it's not enough to say, okay, yay, I got myself uh, another point of view. <laughs> you know, like um, you have to say something, you have to do something. In, in, the, in the, when we look back on the record of time, you know, one of the things should not be that you were afraid to speak up. You were afraid to really, really speak up. And even if you have a view that's not great, maybe your view is, oh, you know, Black people deserve this, say it, so that we can have a conversation. Um, but really, that's what I would say is it's not enough to just listen to these things, to just read and then think, okay, I'm educated, I'm woke. You have to say something. Whatever's in your heart, you have to say something. It's voices that move mountains. Yeah, and, and, and I almost sort of think, you know, to, to speak to that in terms of like you're saying how people are worried about their reputation. 
I, I personally believe that I'd be more worried about my reputation staying silent because I think that <laughs> says a lot more. And, and, and sometimes saying less says a lot more than, than saying more, unfortunately, because like you're saying, if, yeah. if you were to actually say something and put your opinion or whatever it is out there, then at least we have somewhere to start. Whereas if you're just sort yeah. of staying silent, you're not really doing yourself good or anybody else any good. One thing that I sort of finished off with yesterday and, 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 you know, I hope this uh, comes off well, but, you know, for me, I think where I want to start and where most people can start, that's a little simpler, maybe a little easier, um, is, is just simply reaching out and, and asking people how they're feeling. I think that that's a really simple way to start. It's something that I heard on a podcast that I was listening to the other day is why not just start the conversation with something simple as how are you feeling? get an idea of, of how this is affecting people. And then from there, you know, at least like you're saying, we've started the conversation and from there we can then, you know, move into other areas, other subjects and into learning and, and, and how we can act and how we can make a difference or whatever. But I think it's just really simple right now. Just reach out to people that, you know, people that may be dealing with this in, in, in a lot more difficult with a lot more difficulty or in a lot harder way and just start with how are you feeling? And from there, see where the conversation goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Julia, like I said, um, you know, my, my heart's quite heavy right now and, and, and I've still got another one of these to do tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, like I said, learning a lot. Um, I thank you again for taking the time to come on here and, and for sharing the way that you did and, and just, yeah, just providing, you know, some insights to, to my listeners and to people out there who, who may be struggling with this or, or just aren't sure where to go or what to do. So, uh, thank you a ton, my friend, and and I I just I appreciate you a ton. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for what you're doing, and always a pleasure speaking with you. All right, take care and enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.